1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Take Cast. My name is Davis Maddock. You guys can find me on Twitter, at Davis Maddock. In this, uh, I think, very interesting episode of the show, I am joined by Matt Manass, who is the buddy of Sean Newsom, uh, formerly of the Action Network and elsewhere. You guys know him on Twitter, at PSU Fans too. But the reason that Matt came on the show is that he is a professional tennis coach. He coached at Duke and Oklahoma State as well, uh, and was working with Shelby Rogers from the WTA before the beginning of the uh, coronavirus pandemic. And as you guys know, you know, the world of professional athletics is really interesting to us here on this podcast. And, you know, I learned a lot in this conversation about analytics in tennis, something that I really knew nothing about before the beginning of this discussion. I uh I sort of find that the best episodes of this show are you know the ones where the, the I don't know that much about what uh, what the guest is an expert in because you know generally that's going to lead to me talking less and them talking more which is I think what we uh I think which I think is what we found in this episode so hope that you guys enjoy it if you want to support the show uh, please leave a rating and review on iTunes super helpful uh super useful. And uh, if you want bonus episodes, you can subscribe to patreon.com slash take as well uh, to, you know, just uh, continue support, the, continue supporting the creation of this show. Now let's go ahead and get into the episode. All right, everyone, welcoming in Matt Manassi. You, uh, you probably have not heard of him and that's fine because I actually found Matt the best episodes of this show are very rarely with famous people right the episodes that i think that are going to do really well um you know get a get a ton of downloads and stuff it's it's very rarely with people with like a million twitter followers the the episodes that people respond to the most are just the ones that are interesting so first of all welcome to the show and uh you know just let people know what uh what it is that you do before we before we get into the the meat of our discussion
0: yeah no thanks for having me pumped to be on um yeah, I'm a professional tennis coach, or was, until the tour, uh, the tour got canceled uh, the past six years prior. Uh, I was a collegiate tennis coach, uh, coaching at Wisconsin, Oklahoma State, um, and then Duke University. Had some good runs at, at all those places, and then decided last year in September that I wanted to get out of college and, and get on tour, and was uh, most recently was Shelby Rogers. So we had a good little run until COVID-19, decided to come in and kind of shut down the whole world.
1: So for those of you listening to the show who are who are hardcore fans who have been listening for a long time, Matt is buddies with Sean Newsom. You guys might know him better as a uh, PSU fans too. He's a, a big time DFS player. Which Matt, you you didn't even know like you didn't even know of this of this alter ego of Sean's.
0: I had, I had I had no clue. I actually think I saw him last time I was in Erie, but like from a distance, and then didn't even get a chance to say hello. And I, I haven't. I hadn't I haven't reconnected with him until recently. Um, we just knew each other from middle school. And, yeah, now he tells me he's this big-time fantasy guy. I'm kind of mm. jealous. I mean, big-time
1: big big might be stretching it. Big-time <laughs> might be stretching it. He, I mean, people know who he is. Big-time might be stretching it a little bit. Depending on when you saw him, he actually did a huge weight loss challenge bet with one of our buddies. Um, really? I, I forget the exact parameters. I, I believe it was he had to lose 100 pounds in 10 months and i mean he's like the most stubborn person alive so he did it he and he won the bet i have not i don't know i don't know since the bet how much his weight has fluctuated but i do know that he is the only person i know who's made a weight loss challenge bet and actually like beat it no problem that's what
0: was the uh what was the bet like what was on the line
1: oh so so he got free rolled right so his part of the bet he didn't have to put anything up but our friend our friend blake uh said i'll get i think it was ten thousand dollars if he was able if he was able to lose the weight in oh that time gosh. frame yeah so pretty i mean nice for him and uh when you saw him he might have been at like the skinniest of his whole life depending on when it that's was
0: unbelievable i think i i mean for 10 grand yeah that's that's a, that's definitely worth it
1: yeah i mean i i think i I'd gotta ha- I'd have to fatten myself up a little bit first to get in like you know a really a really good uh a really good weight loss bet but uh it's Correct. definitely interesting so i think that um just in general, talking to coaches is so different than talking to athletes. Cause a lot of, you know, I've, we've had like pro golfers on the show, a couple uh, pro football players, pro baseball players, and athletes always have like a really specific mindset in thinking about their sport. And it's generally, it's more about like the, the, the brain, like, does it make any sense that they think more about it in terms of like determination and dedication, as opposed to like really thinking about the tactics of how the sports work. Like, I think, I think coaches and players think of the sport that they're, you know, involved with very differently. And that's why right. sometimes I think former players are not always great coaches. And a lot of the times we right. see guys who have never played the sport be great coaches.
0: Right. No, I, I agree with that. I mean, I think tennis is a weird one, though, because I think, especially within uh, the last couple of years with analytics becoming way more prevalent, it's forced the players I think to think tactically a lot more about their game Um, and coaches have come in uh, with different you know analysis software and tools and obviously just by watching a lot of tennis you you can pick up on a lot of different tendencies out there Um, and I think it's forced the players to become more um, focused on their tactics but yeah I mean tennis players are stubborn I I don't know if you know that I know I mean I know you said your second cousin is Bethany so you watch tennis and
1: and and all that yeah, stuff, yeah, but. yeah, for sure. Tennis players, tennis players, I guess, to me seem like if I feel like it would be very hard to win an argument with a player that you were coaching. I, I feel like I feel like that's very true. And, and probably the same would be true of a lot of the one on one sports like golf. Like mm-hmm. if you're like, look, you need to stop doing thing X and instead start doing thing Y. And they'd be like, uh, I'm one of the hundred best players in the right, world. Right. I've been doing I've been doing thing X for 20 years. Like, why would I stop doing it now?
0: Correct. And I think that's what, that's the tough part of being a coach, especially on tour with these, with these egos, let's say, because you're, I mean, you're obviously being hired to coach them. You're, you're, you want to push them. You want to make the tiny little 1% adjustments that are going to make them better. But as a player, yeah, they're, they got to where they, they are now doing what they've been doing. So making adjustments can be tough for them and they don't, a lot of times don't really want to change. Um, and what you see from the outside isn't what they feel. You know, if you talk to a tennis yeah. player, the first thing they're going to say is like, Oh, I, I felt this way or I feel this way. Well, a feeling isn't always exactly what's going on. Um, especially when you have another eye watching you from the outside. So to kind of build that trust and get them to change little things uh, incrementally, that's, that's obviously the biggest challenge. And uh, once you, once you get that trust, then it can be pretty easy.
1: So, what has the impact of like analytics been in tennis? Cause you know, you when like I think general public, you hear about analytics and they're going to think baseball, right? They're going to think Moneyball, right. Michael Lewis, Brad Pitt then like people who are a little bit more educated would probably start thinking like, Oh, uh, running backs don't matter in football. Right. Don't, don't draft running backs <laughs> right. in the first round. Uh, maybe if you're, if you're super educated, you'd think like, Oh, it's actually more about like diet and nutrition and, and right. uh, load management in basketball. But like, I mean, I, as I I couldn't even really wager a guess on like what analytics for tennis performance is like.
0: Yeah, I mean I think so if you go back 20 years or so basically the players that were winning just had the least amount of weaknesses but everyone had a weakness. Like you can go back to Pete Sampras and first of all he was just more athletic than everyone, his serve was huge, huge forehand whatever, but he had yeah. a he had a weak he had a weak backhand. So like Agassi was trying to pick apart his backhand, keep him off the net the most. Now everyone's good at everything, especially the top guys and the analytics come into play is in terms of like at 30 all, um, where is that person going to serve 80% of the time at down break point? Where is that person going to serve? What what are their tendencies? Um, and kind of wh- where, how, how deep do you need to hit it in, in order to, you know, gain traction over the course of the match? Um, where are people missing the most, you know, in, in big moments? It's not because, The top tennis players, the top 100 in the world on both sides, if you watch them practice or if they're not tight in the early part of the match, they're not going to miss. You're not going to find any tendencies. But it's those little moments, 30-all, 30-40. Yeah, where people –
1: where they get tired, they haven't talked to their coach, and they just rely on, like, okay, this is what I know. So that's that's sort of interesting. That's, like – that would sort of be, like, the breakdown between, like, how hitters and pitchers interact, where it's, like Mm – Oh, so if they, if it's a full count, this guy's going to throw his fastball because he doesn't trust his changeup to, to get in the zone or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess I would imagine that, like the lower you get, right, the lower the lower levels you're going to get. So if you're if you're if you're watching Challenger two or tennis, like right. those guys are or those guys and gals are going to have like really exploitable tendencies. Like it just they will not be playing like a game theory optimal strategy at all.
0: Correct like like so I mean I'm not, I'm not working with Shelby anymore but I can you know tell you how, a couple of the matches uh yeah. for example that uh when we were but like she played a kind of more of a challenger level match in Newport against a girl named Alexa Glatch and it was like it was clear the strategy you know go three balls to the forehand the girl was gonna miss like on on paper it looks like the girl's backhand was weaker with the slice but it wasn't. She she would make that ball all day. So it's like go to the forehand. You're gonna win the match. But that's like very simple because that girl's like 200, 250 in the world. That's not that high of a level. Like in actuality, then we right. play. Then she played uh, Garbine Muguruza first round in the Australian Open, and we were like, all right, you gotta you gotta take away the serve to the serve to the backhand. You gotta serve a little bit more to her forehand. You know, 80 percent to the forehand. But you had to do it consistently and well enough over like it wouldn't just be three balls to the forehand it would be like you really have to get her off to the backhand first to open up the forehand and the, the margins are way smaller um and even so it's like she will shelby won the first set 6-0 the girl was able to adjust whereas against the lower ranked players you might win a set and then they might just disappear um so it's 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 interesting uh in that sense for sure
1: okay so so give me give me um give me an example. What is, if you were, if you were going to try and get your competitor ready to play against Sophia Kennan, who is right. one of the, who is one of the, the best women's tennis players in the world. And I mean, if you don't, if you don't know her exact tendencies right now or whatever, but like, right. what is, what would sort of the reset, the research process be like, like, do you like, is there a, is there a single like data firm that is contracted out to these players? Is it <laughs> that player's own team? Cause like, in for example in professional soccer like men's professional soccer some teams have their own analytics department like like the really rich teams like liverpool and man city they they have their own analytics department right second tier teams you know teams that don't have that much money they actually can contact like data firms basically like uh like stats inc um some of these companies that have data and they can be like look, you do our opposition scouting for us. You tell us, what are we doing wrong? What, what are our weaknesses? So, like, does right. it is, it is that same sort of thing exist in tennis?
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll try to give a short answer. I mean, so the – when you're – first of all, when you're playing someone at a tournament, normally, you know, the draw only comes out a day before. Or if you're playing someone further in the draw, you only know a day before when yeah, you guys Yeah, 24 hours win. before. 24 hours. So, you don't, you don't really have a ton of time. Um, playing another American is difficult because if you're if you're playing a foreign player the USTA will actually automatically they have someone that will just send you the scouting report and wow. some video, so that, yeah. that's
1: a huge edge that's not so like if you're gambling on tennis uh that would not be something you would know I mean maybe some people would know that I did not know that
0: yeah so if you're a US player and you're going to play someone who's foreign you're going to automatically the night before going to get sent a huge scouting report video analysis all of that stuff um but if, you know, if Shelby were to have to play Kenan or, or someone else I'm working with, I mean, that's going to have to be on me to ask other coaches or ask other players or, you know, look look online and watch video myself and try to find those tendencies. I mean, someone like that who won the Australian Open, it's like, first of all, her back. she's game. one of the best players in yeah, the world. Yeah, she's one of the best players in the world. So you're going to have to hope that your player plays very well, has the ability to, to beat her. But, um, Maybe she has an off day, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, you'd, you'd have to try to pick on the forehand and all of that stuff. And, and the second serve, there's not much there to work with at the moment.
1: So, when big upsets do happen in tennis, mm-hmm. and they, they happen more often on the women's side than the men's side, and we can talk about right. that here in a little bit too. Um, but so, so, when an upset like that does happen, what is going to be one of the big causes? Like, like what is going to go wrong? Is it going to be the serve abandoning? Is it going to be, you know, inability to keep the volley? Like, when, when an upset happens in tennis, where, where does it start? And, and kind of how does it spiral out of control?
0: I mean, on the, I think on the women's side, there's obviously more upsets, like you said. And I think that's more, more upstairs. It's more mental than anything else. And I think a lot of it you can look at for a variety of things. I mean, if you have a girl that's been on the road, for a couple weeks in a row and doing well you'd probably imagine maybe like the end of that three or four week trip like that could be that's prime for an upset like early in the tournament she just might not want to be there uh and like it's it's as simple as that um really on the women's side just the consistency to mentally week in week out compete um isn't there and I think if you look at a lot of like let's say a girl had a great week prior and got to the semis or finals or won it like, there's a pretty good chance that, unless she's playing someone who's not good at all, that she could go out in the first round. It's just, it's that finicky. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, on the women's side, you have all kinds of things that can go wrong. They're, they're like, the serves, obviously, they're not holding as often as the men, so that makes it difficult. They're not going to get into a rhythm on their own service game uh, and build themselves into a match or a tournament as easily uh, they're going to have to grind off the baseline, and if they don't really mentally feel like competing that day, then it, it can go wrong, and, you know, it can go wrong in a hurry.
1: My So my take would be why there are more upsets on the women's side would be that, like, okay, so outside of, like, Serena and Venus, there are not really, really dominant servers in the right. women's tour. Even Even the best women's players are, like, b plus in serving and they will still lose points and and matches on double faults yeah and that and you know i don't know if that's mental or physical or whatever uh certainly i could not you know i would not be able to go out and go serve the ball well just because i am uh, a man but that does not happen on the men's side at all you know the the 15 ben the 15 best men's players i mean they could go literally like a whole game without like, they could just, they just do not double fall. They just, it's, right. they get, they get tons of points on aces. And so I think that that, that, that because there are, are not opportunities for so many points to be lost on break via serves, it's just so much harder to have upsets on the men's side.
0: Correct. No, I, t- I totally agree. Um, no, there's just, you're not getting through service games and, and even this, even the, the ability to explode out of the serve. Some of the girls do have great serves. But then they're not doing enough with that second ball right after their turn and but but honestly, on the women's side, like most of the issues for upsets are going to be uh, uh, mental I mean these girls are you know are all over the place to be honest as, as a coach, and I know you wanted to get into this a little bit kind of like a daily routine i mean as a coach on tour when you're especially with maybe a lower ranked player where you're the only person on staff so to speak yeah. you're, you're you're everything you're their psychologist you're their trainer you're their hitter you're you're everything, and it becomes – and when you're with someone so many hours a day, you can just see how mental the game becomes.
1: Yeah, and I mean, so that is from sort of my, uh, like, loose understanding of how golfers work with their coaches. So we've had, like – what what, what, was your, what was your competitor ranked in the world for – what was Shelby ranked?
0: Uh, when we start – well, she's been as high as top 50, so she's coming back from an injury. But uh, when we started, she was 177, and she finished at 110.
1: So that's like, that's like close. Like we've had like the yeah. 70th best golfer and the 100, 100, best golf, 100 best golfer in the world on the show before. And I mean, that that's something that was iterated was that like, yeah, the coach's job is like big time gonna be mental stuff. Cause I mean, I, so I've played more golf than tennis in my life. And golf is right. just, you know, this like insanely tilting game. Like it'll just make you wanna like give up living if after you hit a bad shot, right. like you just, you right. hate it so much. And I mean, I would imagine that it looks a little bit different to hit a bad tennis shot, right? Like, when you when you hit a bad return or a bad serve. But, like, in your head, you're, like, everything was perfect up until the point where I made contact. Like, oh, yeah. that's so, so frustrating that I just messed that up. Like, I, I would imagine, like, the mental result of, like, you know, the physical movement of the ball is just as frustrating.
0: Oh, it feels awful when you when you miss a return that's, like, on your racket or you shank a ball or, or, or double fault. I mean, it's, you'll want to throw your racket over the fence. You just can't. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's extremely frustrating, and 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 it's such a repetitive sport. You're doing the same thing over and over and over again, and you're trying to reach a perfect, like a perfect level, and reach perfection, and it's not even going to happen. I mean, you look at Djokovic, Federer, Nadal. I think they're like barely winning over 50 percent of their points for the year. Right. And you're talking about the the three best players of all time, just barely winning over fifty percent. So imagine everybody else.
1: Yeah, I mean, it just, it, so like sports where the limited, like where the outcomes are more limited, like in tennis, you can either win the point or you can lose the point. You can either win the game or lose the game. And like, yeah, a lot of things can happen inside of that. Like you can volley for, you can have 10 volleys, you can hit all these amazing shots, but like the margins, it's actually, I've never even really thought about it like that before, but the margins of winning and losing games in tennis have to be thinner than, I mean. Just about everything in terms of like for like one on one sports, yeah, because well, there's can, so cause, few variables.
0: Because yeah. you can you can lose more points in a match and still win the match. Yeah. Whereas there's, where there's no sport really like that. Where like in football, the more points you have, the more you win. You Basketball, win the same thing, you know. Like and and uh, except for except for maybe the the presidential election, that might be the only other <laughs> right <laughs> other way that, it can, that that in tennis, you know. So. Uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting for sure.
1: So a lot of the, so brilliant coaches these days are mostly regarded as brilliant. Like not for like how well they're able to motivate people and get in their brains. Like if you you think about like great coaches from like, like maybe when you and I were growing up, it was like Phil Jackson and Jimmy Johnson. And like in soccer, it'd be like, uh, Alex Ferguson and Jose Mourinho. And like, for the right. most part, when people would compliment those guys and say how great they were, they weren't like, oh, these guys understood the sport so well. It was that they were able to like get their players to try really hard and and right. you know, really dig deep inside themselves and make themselves great. But, like when I think about great coaches now, you think of like Steve Kerr's uh amazing offensive system. You think of like um uh, like in, in football, like these air raid coaches who, who just they pass for all these yards and score all these points. Like it's, it's more about the, the, the tactics than the philosophy. But you know, as we're, as we're sitting here talking about tennis, it, it sounds like the best tennis coaches would probably not be the ones that are like, Oh no, if you do this specific reaction at this set of time, like you'll be really good. It's actually much more about like, no, stay calm. Don't lose your cool. Correct. You know, like, what? do the right thing, don't get tired, so on and so forth.
0: Yeah, it's, it's for sure more of a, a motivating type uh, aspect. And, uh, I mean, because tennis, it, it, like I said, it's so repetitive. Every, and it's not just the match days that you have to keep uh, the players focused and motivated because th- those are few and far between compared to practices. The practices are just – they're boring, quite frankly, to, to go out there and, and try to get, you know, that 1% every day and really grind and and that's where you're gonna um you know become prepared for the match so if you can get your player to like really focus on little tiny things to work on and staying motivated and running after balls and and uh warming up properly and eating properly and you know all these other things because there's so many distractions out on tour um for the guys and the girls
1: and it's got to like touring on tennis if you play like every event or try to grind every event like you, you, and you are good. So you're not like losing in the first or second Correct. round and you're like routinely making the quarters or whatever. Like, I mean, you, you're playing so much tennis and and so you're in tennis. like a different part of the world, uh, like every other week.
0: Correct. I mean, I think like when you think back to like Jimmy Connors and, and even like, even like Pete Sampras and all these guys, like they were playing way more events than the players are now. And I think a lot of that has to do with just obviously like load management stuff. Like you were saying earlier, um, but also just just the motivation. Like, if you're going to get to the finals every single week, like, how hard is that to come back and actually want to play the next week? Because it does take so much out of you physically and mentally to just compete week in, week out.
1: Yeah. Like, it just uh, – so I, I, I think that is – I mean, it's, it's, it's like a, like a Zen Buddhist would be really good at tennis just because they'd be like, <laughs> yeah. you know, my, my life is nothing but suffering anyway. So I will, right. I will sit here yeah. and I will suffer for these results. Like it, it, it is, um, it's like a super mental game. And I mean the same, like all the individual sports are like that. Like, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know, I imagine competitive bowling, but I, I guess I'm more thinking about golf cause I really like golf and it's the only sport that I, uh, still play these days. Cause you don't have to be. Uh, you don't have to be super in shape to be to be good at golf.
0: Do you do the so the golfers on tour are they? Do you find like the results is up and down like, or are they? Let's say, do you do you follow women's golf at all?
1: Uh, I mean, like, <laughs> or not really. I, I, not, less than I follow women's tennis, but like, I'll watch it if it's on.
0: Like, I wonder if like the results on the men's tour are more consistent than the results on
1: the women's. It's, tour. No, it's it's actually the opposite. It's it's not really? like tennis that way. The the the, the like you know, five to eight best women's golfers in the, like, uh, like a really elite women's golfer can win like four events a year, like maybe more. And they, and they'll win like loads of majors. Like it's the, the skill, like, well, because, well, actually I wanted to talk to you about this too. Like skill gap, my, my opinion would be that the skill gap in women's golf would be like huge. That like the, the 80th best women's golfer in the world is uh, like a lot worse at golfing right. than the number okay. one golfer in the world. Whereas, like, I think the my my assumption would be that the 80th best women's tennis player in the world could win against the best women's player in the world in a match, and it would like it would be an upset, but it wouldn't be like it wouldn't stop the presses.
0: Correct. No, you're right. I agree. So yeah, I, I guess that's a, a fair point, and it probably because women's golf just hasn't exploded quite as much as tennis as much. Yet. Yeah, yeah. There's just
1: not, there's not as much money. Um, right. and like women's college golf is like a, like, like they stay there for all four years and stuff, at least to my understanding. Now, if I'm right. saying something wrong right now and people are like, like we have big <laughs> women's golf fans listening and you're yelling at me, like, I'm sorry. This is just my understanding of how things work. It's, it's possible that I am wrong, but that's uh, that's kind of how I understand it. So this was another thing I wanted to talk about. Um, you know, compared to something like basketball or football, like if if uh, if you or I, we get a, we get on the court in a a D two men's basketball game, like we're not mm-hmm. scoring a point. These guys, these like we're just we're not gonna, we're not even going to be able to get a dribble off really right. probably. Um, in tennis, I think people don't think of it that way. I think that they would imagine the skill gap to be a little bit smaller than that. So the example that I have is um, we had, we had two buddies, Adam Levitan and uh, Brandon Adams and Brandon Adams is a really good tennis player. I I don't know his exact qualifications um, off the top of my head. I, I think he played in college, maybe, uh, maybe he played a, a little bit uh, higher level than that, but the bet was basically total layman, non-athletic guy, or like just a normal guy, Adam Levitan, right. he would be able to win a point off of, it was either a point or a game, I think it was just a point, he would be able to win a point off of Brandon, and Brandon was playing with a frying pan. And well, so first of all, without knowing the results of that, which side would which side would you take?
0: A a single point, I would say the layman can can win one single point. Um, A game, though, I don't know. I think a game probably not.
1: So I I I should have I should have I will message Levitan right now about this. So I know that he lost the bet. I know that I know that the result was that he lost. I'm pretty sure it was just a point. I am pretty sure that it was just a point, and he did not win. And he did not.
0: Yeah, I mean, because I I know like Roddick's done stuff like that. I think in the past. um, Obviously, that's different. Someone who's like won a Grand Slam, but um, yeah, no, the gap, the tent. Like I always think in basketball, like at least I could go out and run around and you know guard and you know I can catch the ball. Yeah, you could. You
1: could act like you knew what you were doing. Like you could. You'd be in the right spot. You'd be able Correct. to pass the ball to your teammates. You'd probably be able to set a screen or whatnot. Like it's—it's it's not like you would look lost.
0: Correct. I mean, I'm—I'm a—I'm a barely six foot Jewish guy, so I might look a little lost. But, um, you know, yeah, in tennis, it's just so different. Like you—you you put someone on the court and try to have them return your serve. It's like 120. They don't even look like they know how to hold a racket. Um, it just yeah. goes by. So it's, uh, I mean, I'd imagine it's almost like. I mean, like hitting a baseball is one of the hardest things in the world, right? That's what they say. I mean that
1: that's what that's what every like sports scientists or whatever say that like hitting a major league fastball is like the hardest thing to do in pro sports for like a right. like it just like I mean like Michael Jordan hit two hundred in double A baseball, right? And he's the best ever, right? right. So right. I mean, right. but I would think returning a serve from Andy Roddick would be just as difficult.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. I mean yeah you're not if he actually like doesn't tell you where he's going yeah, a, a normal person's not returning no chance
1: uh okay levitan. i'm talking to i'm asking levitan right now if he uh <laughs> if uh if he won a point i think i think he did i think he did win a point point. Um, and also
0: like the other huge debate always is like the men versus women which i don't i i can't stand but it's like because it's, it's just it's different no other sport is compared that way and I guess we have Billie Jean King to thank, but the 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 gap there is also massive. You know. Yeah, I mean it.
1: It like the. I mean, I would imagine that there are professional women who could beat like lower ranked professional men, probably. But also, it's like it's like sort of a it's like sort of a different game. Like if you right. if you watch a men's match and a women's match, they have like a whole different cadence and flow. It's like yeah, they're they're playing the same game, but like only kind of sorta. You know what I mean? Right. right. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I am wrong, Levitan. If you're listening to this, um, I, I I shortchanged you. Uh, he won the first set six two, uh, then then lost seven five, and then in the third set, basically Levitan wasn't as in good of shape as Adams, so he won six two. But but Adams, you know, uh, a good tennis player, probably not a great tennis player, wins playing with a frying pan versus um, an average guy. So it's it's a hard sport, right? It's a hard sport. Oh yeah.
0: Oh yeah. I got. Have you Have you played pickleball, by the way?
1: Maybe a that's, long time ago. Yeah.
0: That's like That's like my new pickleball. It's, a, it's obviously a smaller court, wiffle ball, and then like the rackets are no strings, just like a plastic, whatever. I mean, amazing sport. That's the new new jam. But anyway, are you
1: Are you able to Are you able to play that during uh, During COVID nineteen? There's got to be. Where so, Where are you playing pickleball?
0: So we ha- I, We have a tennis court at the house um, that actually has no lines on it because it's supposed to be redone this summer. So I made pickleball lines with duct tape and measured it and and got, like, some kids. Yeah, I got some kids' mini tennis net, put it on cinder blocks so it's, like, the right height. And uh, it probably goes against every social distancing rule. But we've had people over, and and we've been playing. So I played last night for a couple hours. It was awesome.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I exercised during quarantine has been the worst. Like I, I had a very good gym routine going before and I hate running outside, like running outside. It's just the I worst. So work. I, yeah. I went from working out like a good hour and a half a day, like six days a week to like, I'll go on like a 15 minute run with my dog and then just go walk. Cause I'm like, this is horrible. And I hate running right. so much. It's terrible.
0: I think, wa- I mean, walking is pretty underrated. Like walking does the trick if you do it enough you know and maybe make you walk like, an geez.
1: hour a day yeah yeah
0: and like mix some what i started doing was in the morning i'll walk like two and a half miles or so but like within that two and a half miles try to get like a couple of 25 yard sprints in there you know like 10 sprints so at least i feel like i'm doing something but
1: my, yeah, dog's, not, my not dog my dog is getting so sick of running with me like at first sure. she, at first she was really into it she's getting like a little older she's like four or five now she's a mutt so we don't really know <laughs> So she used to love running with me when she was a puppy. And now right. she's like, you know what? I just, I'm not, I'm not really trying to do that. She's, and she's also probably could, like
0: in the best shape of her life right now.
1: She is. Well, we have a, a St. Bernard too, but the St. Bernard won't run. So she knows the other dog is at home just hanging right. out, getting to do whatever it wants. So I think she gets a little salty about it. All right. Some of the, some of the, oh, this was, this was a huge one that I wanted to talk about. Cause this is a, a big debate in football which is like the sport that I care about the most and there's there's this huge argument on like can you teach a quarterback to be more accurate and really there's a lot of evidence that you can't that you know guy like guy like guy like Josh Allen um guy like Daniel Jones those dudes are they're gonna miss wide open wide receivers their whole careers because no matter how hard they work it's just like their mechanics their brain like I mean, just right. go outside right now. If you're listening to this, you're outside, grab a, grab a tennis ball, grab a walnut, go try and throw it at a specific target. And like, if you miss it the first time, I don't care how many times you go out there to go try and do it again. You're, it's just going to be random if you hit it. Like, right. I, I, so I do sort of feel like it's like you have the ability to do it or you don't. And I think that that would be huge in tennis because you're literally trying to aim for like dime square spots on the tennis court.
0: No, I I would agree with you. I think the more, I I agree with you in a sense. I think tennis is so much like fundamental and technique based like a lot of the other, like skill sports. And if you don't have that by the time you're like 12, at least to like a very, very high level, it's never going to come for you. Like obviously there's going to be tweaks between 12 years old and when you're a pro tennis player. But if if the main, you know, 90% aren't there, it's never going to come. And I feel a lot of that Obviously, it has to do with your coach, but then the athleticism, the uh, the live arm action, all of that. A lot of that's natural. I mean, I could, I like, I went to USC my freshman year, and uh, you know they won four national titles after. Uh, one, actually, once I transferred, but some of the same guys were on those on the team, and just the natural athleticism. It didn't matter how hard I worked, and I was in great shape at the time. There were guys on the team that could just outrun me, outjump me, outserve me. Like, I remember we had someone come in and look at our serve mechanics, and the guy said, like, my serve mechanics was one of the best on the team, but I couldn't hit it nearly as fast as some of these other guys. You just couldn't hit, hit it hard record. enough, right? No, just, yeah. No.
1: And if you're, if, in, in the men's game, if you don't have, like, a super sick serve, it's like you're just, you're just done. You'll get returned every time. You'll never be winning those free points.
0: Oh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, you, and you had guys with maybe less – the mechanics weren't quite as good, but for whatever reason – they could uncoil properly or they had a more live arm or they were, you know, five inches taller. So <laughs> there's, yeah, some, there's I mean, something I, people can't teach.
1: Yes. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the best men's players are like six, four, right? Like oh, that's yeah. just, it's a, it's a huge, I mean, I guess I don't how tall are Andre Agassi and Pete Sampras. I, that was like a little bit before, like my sports memory. I don't even really know.
0: Pete, Pete was six two. Andre was like my size, but, but that was, I mean, Andre wouldn't, win today like he won back then you know like he, he kind of I mean, is that was, is that a thing good. in tennis
1: is that a thing in tennis of like I mean this is a thing in every other sport where you're like oh everyone from the 90s sucks Michael Jordan Michael Jordan would be Lou Williams today uh Dan Dan Marino would be would be Blake Bortles backup today like that's a thing in it, that's a thing in every other sport is that is that like a like a an argument in tennis as well
0: yeah for sure I mean I think the greats I mean, and also the courts have changed so much. So like the Pete Sampras is the world who were such great serving volleyers. The courts are so slow now, like Wimbledon's slow. Um, and, you know, Pete wasn't doing well in the French, but the, the U S Open's slower, Australia's slower. So it's like, it's just different. And, and Pete changed the game athletically um, and he was the best athlete, but now there are guys that are 10 times more athletic than Pete. Um, so definitely, definitely a thing. I mean, the depth now everyone can hit a serve one, a buck 30. Now, you know, everyone can return those serves. And back then that wasn't the case. Um, and that's why people were serving and volleying because there were, you know, weak returns and yeah, it, the tennis has evolved so much. A lot of it's had to do with, you know, technology with the rackets and strings, but uh, yeah, the Chris Everett would not be, would not be anywhere on right. the tour today. That's for well, sure. That's, that's
1: a, that's a huge thing in golf now not not um not well the equipment right so like right. The, the equipment that these guys are playing with like like the average drive on tour like 20 years ago i mean you're, you could probably add you could tack a football field onto it now like right and and so they're you know they've made the courses longer and they have made the fairways narrower and the greens are more tricky and it's like still there's sometimes nothing you can do. Like guys will go out and shoot minus 25 over four days. And it's right. like, we did everything we could. And, and so, you know, some courses have gone the other way of like, Oh, we're just going to make it. We're just like basically going to cheat like the, like the U S open where like they want guys to shoot over par. Um, right. right. So, yeah. It's like they, so I mean, you know, it, it happens a little bit in every sport. Okay. I did. I wanted to talk about the surface thing though, cause this has never made sense to me as someone who's like, I mean, I'll probably play tennis like once a year against my girlfriend's mom and get beat or whatever. So it's just like, doesn't make any sense to me. Why, why is there such a difference in results and performance based on clay, like on, on surface types? So, so clay, grass, hard and indoor, like, like why, why is it so different? Why does one person's game suit one surface so well? And then like Nadal, like he's the best clay player ever, but like, you know, he's, he's a good player at Wimbledon. He's a good player yeah. elsewhere, but he's not the GOAT. Like, why is that?
0: Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, the bounce, the height of the bounce, the speed, um, that plays into a player's strengths and weaknesses more than, than someone else. Like for Nadal, for example, um, I think he can just get beat with pace because a lot of his game is – I mean, obviously, he's controlling from the center and he can hit winners, but he's also, like, one of the best defensive players of all time. Um, and he has so much spin and the clay, the clay, like on a hard court, it it, it uh, is it advantageous to someone who can hit through the court and hits a flatter ball. Cause it's going to move through the hard court quicker. Whereas on clay, a flat ball is not going to be as effective because it's going to slow it down or his ball on clay. is So heavy has so much spin. The rotation is going to jump off and up and out of people's strike zone. And the fact that he's probably like in the best shape and can slide and grow up in the clay, that's going to give you those, those type of results. Um, someone like an Ali Risk, for example, uh, who you know is top twenty in the world on the women's side. She hates balls that are above above her, you know, typical strike zone um, above her waist. So grass court, everything bounces low. It's right in her sweet spot. Top spins not getting out of her her zone, and she can like feed off other people's power. So it's kind of if I was a betting a betting man, you really need to look at the people's strengths and weaknesses and how a court um, can benefit them or hurt them. And and obviously you can look at their past results and all that stuff just to kind of, kind of see.
1: So, you know, if we're, if we're talking about this stuff being super mental, would you <clears throat> place a ton of emphasis on like prior head to head record? If you were gambling on a match, like if, if someone was like three and one against their opponent, would you just be like, yeah, they're, they're going to win because, they they have that per they have that person's number. They're better on this surface. Like like what would what would be the thought on that head to head record?
0: Yeah, I mean on the women's side, a uh, women's side maybe not just because there's so much up and down. But if it's like glaringly one way or another, probably there's probably a mental aspect where like they just don't think they can they can beat that person. Like uh, I mean, working with Shelby for example, like we we did flip the script on a couple matches that she had lost prior or hadn't won. Um, but there was one girl she played where going into it she's like i've never beaten that girl she's so tough for me to play so you know going in there's already that mental aspect of, of doubt in their mind of whether they can win um and obviously the men's side i don't know i wouldn't put a lot of weight into it if it's if it's only a couple matches but then these the top guys that are you know the joke nadal all these these guys like their head-to-heads mean mean a lot and they're barely losing um But yeah, a lot has to do with the surface. You know how they've done recently. I I would I would take more look at the recent level of play and how they've done like the the three months prior, because I think yeah, I mean that that's a
1: that's a big argument in all all sports is like long term form versus recent form, and I I have found that the 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 database people who have limited experience playing sports are always like oh long term form you look at you look at the long term form that's going to be more predictive and then literally everyone like coaches players the trainer doesn't matter and they're like if they're in the sport they're like oh you look at like the last 3 months 6 months whatever right. cuz that's right. going to be that's going and and I mean I don't know like what do I know who's right and and even
0: even in terms of like as a coach I would like let's say your player is playing someone who they've lost to in the past, I think you can use some of that short-term data to at least put a positive uh, perspective in their mind of like, okay, look, this player you've played the last three months, they haven't been doing well. Like, I know they were a former top 10 player and they've won a Grand Slam. But the last three months, you know, you, you've you done better than they have. Like, you're the right. better player going in. And it's kind of tricking tricking your player into, into, into that belief. Um, but I think... In tennis, too, it is so mental. And if a player is not, I mean, I've heard I've been around players where they're saying, like, you know, they lose one bad match and they they they've lost their confidence completely. Where it's like, you know, from the outside perspective, you're like, okay, it's one game, but to them, it's it's everything. So it's their whole week or or right. their whole trip or whatever, and they really can lose confidence quickly.
1: Yeah, I mean, that is, I, that's probably like the hardest thing for people in sports to communicate to gamblers and to people playing fantasy sports and everything is right. like just the the idea that someone that's that talented that has all these accomplishments that is the 20th best person in the whole world at their thing can be like upset and thrown off like it just like it, yeah. it that that idea is very hard to translate to someone like me who like you know it's just like like whatever, get up and try harder. You know what I mean, right?
0: Right. Well, I mean, even even as as a coach who's been around it, that idea to me is foreign. Like to hear someone, because from the outside, you know, you're you're. I mean, I've been hitting with these players or or watching them practice, and you're like, it looks so easy. They're hitting the ball effortlessly, and it's going in, and it, everything's good. And then you know they miss one ball, and you're and they get pissed, and you're like, what's going on? Like, what's up? And they tell you how they haven't felt the ball right the last twenty shots, and you're like like how that do, it doesn't make sense to me because it looks so good it looks it looks right, they're doing everything right, but they're like like we talked about earlier, their feeling uh isn't isn't quite there and and that's that's a weird weird thing to think about as a as a better or a normal person when when from the outside it looks so easy
1: right best best tennis match you've ever watched
0: uh whew. Recently, I'm going to have to go recent. So last year's Wimbledon final was unbelievable. Very good. Uh, yeah. for, for a variety of reasons. Yeah, that, that five set where Djokovic beat Fed, had match points. Um, I was at, do you know who Stan Smith is? You know the Stan Smith shoes?
1: Yeah, oh yeah, the, the, the oh shoes. yeah. So Big time. I was at,
0: I was at uh, his son's, his son is the head coach at Duke University. So I was uh, at his place for a little Wimbledon final sesh. I wore like a white seersucker suit. Uh, and was sitting <laughs> was sitting was sitting next to Ramsey, um, on a on the bench that his dad actually won Wimbledon in. So it's it's in his house. So we were watching that match the full five sets. We were, you know, drinking, making all the the strawberries and cream. So that's that's been my favorite match as of recent. Um, and then I'll go I'll go back in history, even though none of your followers will know. Um, Alex Karecha, Pete Sampras, uh 1996 quarterfinal of the US Open. Pete like had food poisoning or something, puked in the back during the match like on the court. Yeah. Ended up ending up serving out the tiebreaker and, and and wins it. Um how about you? What's your any favorite match you've seen?
1: Um I mean I I love the I the one I was captivated the most at the time was the Isner marathon match. I don't even remember who it was against at this point, but I just remember like ESPN like kept cutting to it and just being like, is this, is this real life? Like it was like watching a marathon, but like while guys were uh, playing tennis and then watching um, my cousin, watching Bethany, uh, Bethany and Jack Sock win the gold medal in Rio. That was, I mean, that was just, that was really cool that she won that. That was awesome at the time. Um, so those, those, those are like the two that I was thinking of when I thought of this, but like tennis is very interesting in the sense of like, you can just get great matches on like a Tuesday morning at the Indian Wells. Like if you're not, if, if both of the people are up to it and they're like, you know, I, like I would imagine that there is some element of like, okay, I, I, I lost, I lost the first set. I'm down, I'm down five, two in the second set. Like, let's just go home. Like maybe maybe. I could win it. If I really dug deep, I could win it. I could win the breaker here. I could go back and we could do it. But like, I'm hungry and I like, I've made enough money this year. It's not going to kill me if I get cut here. And I would imagine there's a good bit
0: of that that happens. Oh, there's, there's a ton of that, a ton of that. And you, and you, but you see it both ways. Um, that's so funny because as a coach, you want in your, in your, uh, you want your player to have the mindset like, okay, I'm just going to compete until the end. Um, but it is, it is easy to think all those thoughts, you know, I've been on the road for three weeks. So I want to go home. Like, you know, I'm ready. I'm ready to do it. Um, yeah. It's interesting. At the same time, I've had some players where like, you think they're down and out and like, they're, they're like, oh, I knew I wasn't going to lose that match. And you're like, what? You were down, like you were down a set in five two. how, how did you think? Yeah. There's no way. Oh no. And, and,
1: and they were like, the oh, match. I just saw, or, or like, I knew that my opponent was like getting lucky or, or, or was right. weakening or. Yeah.
0: Right.
1: Yeah. And it's crazy. Like,
0: wow yeah
1: um so what do uh like what is college tennis like in the united states like i i'm I'm always fascinated by how sports that have like you know billions of dollars in them function as uh college sports in the united states because like for for golf it's sort of weird like you you can be in college and playing some pro events sometimes or Mm -hmm. or then you just you got to leave like like oklahoma state actually they have, they have like, they're, I mean, they're the best uh, men's golf program that there is. And a lot of those guys, yeah, yeah, a lot of those guys go pro. Um, So like, how does it, how does that function for college tennis players?
0: Yeah, I think in the last, in terms of like pro, going to pro tennis, there's been a lot more uh, pro prospects that are entering college in the last 10 years or so. A lot of that has to do with the fact that uh, in college, especially the top programs that have money, they can pay, for their players to play pro events. It's the only sport in college that can do that um, up to seven events a year. You can take them to. So that's fun with a lot more of the European talent in and the top American talent to come to uh, college tennis, but it, it's great. I mean, I think after being on tour, I have a newfound appreciation of college tennis, just the, the team aspect. And uh, you know, on the women's side, you have eight full scholarships. You have girls that are, that are, are very good kids. You know, they're hungry to to get better at tennis. They're, taking their academics seriously and um, you know, they're pushing each other every day. And I think on tour, that's something that's lost is, is the the relationships and really pushing each other Um, in terms of layout in college. It's fun. The fall is, is all individual based. Um, You go to different tournaments as individuals, even though you're representing your school. And then the spring uh, is obviously the dual match season um, that ends with the NCAA championships in May. Um, But yeah, yeah it's 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 fun i mean i it's yeah college tennis is great uh you get you get a good fan base out there a lot of places i mean at oklahoma state when we got to the nsa final it was held in tulsa we had about three thousand people out there for the final so for for a tennis event that was pretty cool
1: yeah that is that is very cool (laughs) um interesting conversation yeah i hope i hope we get tennis back soon I do. I'm gonna have
0: to. I'm gonna have to get you, Bethany, on the on the podcast show. Oh uh, yeah,
1: I mean that would be that would be very you. cool. I she um. It's actually very funny. So like her family runs like a performance training center, um, right. and she has so her little brother and I look exactly alike if you go if you go to like mad like it's like matic training or or something like that and like she has she either has a little brother or a little cousin and we have like the same haircut the same uh gross facial hair that doesn't grow in right all the way it's like very funny um yeah that would be it would be very cool to talk to her
0: because you look like her dad a little bit like same you know very similar
1: yeah so her dad is my grandpa's brother's Either kid or nephew. I don't. I don't. I don't, I don't remember. Yeah. It's been a long. It's been a long time since. Uh, it's probably been since I was like twelve or thirteen that we've all been in the same yeah. place. But sh- that would be a good podcast guest.
0: Yeah, and she. Uh, yeah, she grew up in South Florida. She went to Everett Academy um, for a little bit, like I did. So no, she's she's cool. I'll, I'll get her I'll get her on. I'll do my homework.
1: Oh, actually, while I'm here, um, have you do you know who David Foster Wallace is? Uh. Uh-uh. So he no. gr- he grew up in he grew up doing like the tennis Academy thing in okay. South Florida. And he wrote, he wrote a bunch of great books, but he wrote one of my favorite books. And if you're in quarantine and you, you're actually yeah. bored and have nothing to do. He wrote a very long book called infinite jest, which takes place at a South Florida or not actually not a South Florida, a, a Boston, Massachusetts ten, tennis Academy. And I mean, assuming that you have great familiarity with tennis academies, yeah. there will be a lot of stuff uh, that rings true with you in that book, I would imagine.
0: No, that'd be. I'll, I'll definitely look into that for sure. Yeah,
1: I love, I love that book. Um, all right, Matt, thank you very much for the time. Everyone, thank you very much for listening. Uh, I've, I've, as you guys can tell from the, the the feed being full of podcasts this week, uh, I've had a lot of time on my hands. So sure. we will uh, we'll keep churning them out.